Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June the 10th, and our scripture passage for today is Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we're going to be in Isaiah for the next few podcasts, so I want to set the historical boundaries for this book and divide it up for you so that you can understand how the book is put together. Because in our day of challenging everything that is on the airwaves, I want you to understand where I'm coming from when it comes to the book of Isaiah. And so Isaiah uh, prophesied in the time period of history, Israel's history, that was very tumultuous. And he uh, prophesied over a long period of time. His prophecy began in 740 B.C. Now, 740 B.C. is a critical time because it was a period when there had been great stability in the Davidic kingdom. Uzziah had been reigning for some time, and he reigned for over 50 years. And so there was a time of great prosperity under Uzziah. And then Uzziah made a critical error in that he went into the temple of God, took upon him the role of a priest that God never assigned to him. And he offered incense, and when he did, the priest rushed in, dozens of them. He became uh, angry as the high priest said, you've got to get out of here. You don't have the authority to do this. Thank God for him. It enraged Uzziah, this wonderful king, and he got angry. And as he did, the judgment of God came upon him and he began to break out with leprosy. Now, we don't know exactly what leprosy was, but it's a skin malady. I don't believe it was like Hansen's disease, that is modern day leprosy, but it had some of the same characteristics from what we can read in the Bible. But it was much more than that. And I think it was a broader spectrum of disease than what we have today. Whatever it was, it disqualified him from ever going into the temple area again. And he was rushed out and he wanted to get out because that was certain judgment. It was violation of the a leper coming into the very house of God. God had very strict rules about that on purpose, for a purpose. And so the rest of Uzziah's days that he lived out was lived out separately with his son, Jotham, who was a co-regent from that day on. It was very young. And uh, so he would uh, consult with his father and then actually carry out the will of his father. Now, Jotham is another story because as long as he had good Good counsel. He was a good king. As soon as his father died and he began to get bad counsel, then he became a horrible king. And so he had no life of his own. He was just um, whatever the whims of his friends were. And we know people like that. They can't make decisions without pleasing their friends. And they're just like a putty have no solidifying factor in their life, which is uh, a walk with God and knowledge of Scripture and, and obedience to the Scripture. His son did not have that. And so all to say that this was the year that King Uzziah died. He died a leper. 
from the time he violated God's principles of going into the temple and going into the priesthood that God had not assigned. And so this was a traumatic time. It was just uh, 18 years after this that you have the northern kingdom falling in 722 B.C., now, remember, the southern kingdom didn't fall until 586, so that is some 120 to 140 years after, almost 140 years after this time. So King Hezekiah was king uh, during the days of the fall of the northern kingdom and, and Samaria, uh, its capital. And you'll recall that many fled during that time down to the south where Isaiah was and uh, Mikiahu, Mika, Micah we call him, where he was prophesying at the same time as a contemporary to Isaiah. Micah's prophecy is filled with messianic truth. So is Isaiah because they were facing the sure judgment of God. The northern kingdom was going to fall, and it did fall. And then many of those tribal people from the north of those ten tribes came south. So many refugees came south that Hezekiah had to double the size of Jerusalem, I believe uh, more than double it, and had to build a, a wall so quickly that it was a broad wall, and it's actually called the Broad Wall. And it covered the western hill and the northern area. For those of you who've been to Israel, the Jewish quarter, you can go there and see that. That's on top of that western hill at the crown of it, not far from the Zion Gate. But it's the Jewish quarter where the Hervas Synagogue is and so forth. And many of you have gone there and have eaten in that square and so forth. Well, that is uh, the broad wall went even farther out than that. And this is where many of the tribal people from the north came and sought refuge because they saw and believed what the prophets said, that judgment was coming. So they fled the north, just like many sensible people would, for instance, have done in the days of the Russian invasion when many fled, many stayed, didn't believe that they were coming in up until the week before they did. It was being broadcast on TV stations and in newspapers and on the Internet that people were going on about their life up until the day that the Russians came in. It's fascinating with all the signs that they were coming in. For whatever reason, they didn't. But many fled and they went to safety. That's what happened in the northern kingdom. They fled. Now, that's the historical milieu and setting for Isaiah's prophecy. To the north and to the south, he was primarily a court prophet to the kings of the south, evidently from a wealthy family. So the book of Isaiah is divided into three parts. The first part is really just having to do with judgment and how wicked that Judah had become. Sometimes people in our modern day, they know that I work with the U.S.-Israel relationship and that I'm supportive of Israel, and they will say, well, those people are wicked, and uh, there's so many things about Israel that is ungodly. Nowadays, if you say anything about a Jewish person, then you're anti-Semitic. Well, then Jesus would have been anti-Semitic because he had a lot to say to the Jewish people about sin. So did all the prophets. They must have been. Well, that's ridiculous. And the reason is, is because it has nothing to do with being anti-Semitic. It has to do with loving people enough to tell them the truth. And what was going on in ancient times is starting to go on today. For instance, Israel is caught up in this gay pride and homosexuality, and it's a place where that is rampant. All of this transgender and transsexual stuff that's here in the United States, it's in Israel as well. And let me tell you, it's wrong for Americans, it's sin for Americans, and it's sin for Jews and Israelis. Just because I support 
support Israel doesn't mean that I support everything that Israel and the government does or the people of Israel. They sin just like Americans. I am a red-blooded American. I'm a patriot in every sense of the word. But I want to tell you, we're living in a godless culture right now, and our president's a godless man. And I say that without equivocation or hesitation. This is the most godless, wickedest president and set of advisors in my lifetime. And I say that against the background of biblical truth. And again, I say this without reservation. I know that some of you may never listen to me again. This has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with where we are as a nation and our walk with God and seeking the God of creation, the God of eternity, the God of redemption, the God of salvation, the God of the Bible upon which the nation that we are now living in was once built and is the foundation of our society. And democracy does not work without a moral base, a Judeo-Christian base. This is an experiment based upon an experiment in democracy. This great republic that we've held on now to for over 200 years, we may be about to lose unless we return in revival to the God of the Bible and the principles of the Bible. So this is what Isaiah did. He called the people back to repentance. So the first 39 chapters of Isaiah has to do with sin. And he calls Jerusalem Egypt. He calls Jerusalem Sodom because they were living like the godless Egyptians and the Sodomites. I'm telling you, he wasn't popular. As a matter of fact, tradition says that he died by being sawn asunder. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews, that's who he's referring to when he said some were sawn asunder. Almost all scholarship believes that that was Isaiah. So I'm just telling you, he stood for truth. He was an eloquent man. And so for the first 39 chapters, he said, thus says the Lord, this is what's going to happen. Chapters 40 through 55 are my favorite because they are the great story and heart of God in redemption and hope and confidence that sin will not win in the end, that that God wins. And uh, some of the most beautiful, eloquently written passages in all the Bible are in the book of Isaiah chapters 40 through 55. And from 55 through the end of the chapter is a third part and has to do with what we call the Messianic Age and what the Jews call the Messianic Age. And that is the days when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, when when Messiah will rule upon the earth. We uh, in the New Testament era, uh, many call this the millennial kingdom because of Revelation chapter 20. It says that he ruled for a thousand years. But the Messianic Age is a period when God will rule. And Isaiah talks about that. And so Isaiah is really the prince of prophets. As you know, the Old Testament that Jesus used, according to the Bible itself, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, he talks about the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Psalms was the first book of the writings, the Ketuvim. So you had Torah, you had the Nebim, and the Ketuvim. That was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Jesus quoted from all three of those. The book that he quoted from more than any was in the writings, the book of Psalms. He quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other. And the New Testament is replete with quotations from Psalms. Why? Because Psalms is a microcosm of the entire Bible. And it has every major doctrine explained in it, not just in incipient form and beginning form, but really in a full-blown way. It, uh, it teaches all the major doctrines of of the Bible about uh, man, salvation, sin, redemption, etc. 
And so it's critical to understanding it. So Jesus quoted out of the Ketuvim, the writings, and especially the book of Psalms. Isaiah is the book that he quoted from more than any other in the uh, Nevi'im, in the prophets, in the prophetic writings. And he often quoted Isaiah. Then in the Torah, the book of instructions, he quoted from Deuteronomy. Devarim is what it was called by the Hebrews, and the words that Moses gave to the children of Israel, rehearsing and summarizing the Torah before and the expectations of God before they went to the promised land. And so it is a book of summarizing the instruction of God to his people, and that's the book of Deuteronomy. So those are the three books that Jesus quoted from out of those sections more than any other. Now, the reason I'm telling you this, again, is because we're going to be in Isaiah over the next few podcasts, over certainly over the next week. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 6 first, but before we do, I want to just mention something that you're going to read about if you read in any commentaries that are not from a conservative, Bible-believing person, because there's a lot of commentaries out there called higher critical commentaries. And those of you studying seminary and Bible colleges, many times you'll have to read these things. And they say there's three Isaiahs. Now, the reason they say there's three Isaiahs is simply because of the anti-supernatural bias. Because the book of Isaiah prophesied, for instance, Cyrus is named 200 years before he was born and what he would do and that he would be the anointed one that would free the people to go back after the exile that God was going to send them into and that God was going to do that. All of that's prophesied in the book of Isaiah 200 years before it happened. And people who have an anti-supernatural bias would say, well, for that to happen, it'd have to be a miracle. Well, of course it's a miracle. God signs his name miracle. I mean, after all, that's what biblical prophecy is. It's history written in advance. And so God knew Cyrus, knew what he'd be called before he was born. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning. And so he told Isaiah that. And so Isaiah prophesied, and it happened just like he said. If you study the book of Isaiah and you are not studying under someone who believes the Bible's truly the Word of God and the words of God, then they might actually teach as reality. I teach it to just make people aware of it, but it's uh, Isaiah, they believe, that first part that Isaiah actually wrote, the Isaiah of the Bible, what we would call the prophet Isaiah, and then someone after the exilic time, after the time of exile, after Cyrus had already lived, that's Deutero-Isaiah, that's the second Isaiah, and then many believe that there was a Trito-Isaiah, a third Isaiah that wrote other passages that so that nothing was anything but history. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is simply because you may even read this in some kind of devotion book because it seems like that liberalism can't keep its hands off of anything it has to do with the Bible. And uh, that's okay because uh, the Bible's the Word of God and it will prove itself and has proven itself to be just what it is. And uh, the older I get, the more I am a firm believer that exactly what God says, exactly what God means. And I've always believed that. I've just lived it out now and experienced it and studied it and researched it. And every now and then someone will say, well, you talk about these languages, you talk about this. I mean, after all this study for uh, decades and decades, do you really believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that the heaven is real and the streets will go? Yes, I do. I believe it now more than I ever did. I've always believed it, but now I have evidence and biblical reality to do that. And not only did I believe it, but some of the greatest men and women in history, in history, that affected the world in which you and I live also believe that. So professing themselves to be wise, they become morons. That's the Greek word for fool. Someone who's a fool is a moron. 
I say that uh, with great sadness in my heart because it takes a fool to believe that there's no God. What? Who is a fool? What is a fool? A fool is someone who continues to believe something that is false, even though there is evidence uh, to the contrary. They believe something that's not real simply because they have a narrative and they're trying to live out the narrative instead of allowing their narrative to come from reality and facts. And the Bible is a historical faith. Yes, it is faith, it's trust, but it's trust in true events that happen in reality. All to say, as we go through the book of Isaiah, I'm going to get into Isaiah chapter 6 and his call in the next uh, one, but I wanted to introduce this book to you, and so get ready. We're going to, in the next podcast, we'll do about half on Isaiah 6 and half on Isaiah 40. So get ready. It's going to be a great week, and thank you for hanging in there, and uh, please forgive me for being late on these things simply because I got behind uh, when I was in Israel and had a difficult catching up and throwing everything on my wonderful producer. It's just more than he can do everything at one time. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for hanging in there. And I am so glad that you're with me as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.